Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the first podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Claire Armstrong, a Toronto actor you may have seen on the stage in recent productions of Miss Julie and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, or on your screens in the YouTube series Running with Violet or CBS's Alias Grace. She made her feature debut earlier this year in Daniel Worth's terrific Dim the Fluorescence, which won the Audience Award at the Slamdance Film Festival and finally opens in Toronto this Friday, December 8th, at the Carlton Cinema. Claire picked Never Let Me Go, Mark Romanek's eerie rendering of the deeply unsettling novel by Kazuo Ishiguro, set in an alternate England where three young friends spend their lives, their entire lives, in the service of a purpose they will never fully understand. Carrie Mulligan, Kira Knightley, and Andrew Garfield star alongside Charlotte Rampling, Sally Hawkins, and little wee versions of Domhnall Gleeson and Andrea Riseborough, and the result is one of the calmest, quietest, saddest science fiction films you'll ever encounter. And I will say no more. Well, we will. This is someone else's movie. I saw the movie, I guess, when it, when it first came out, which was a while ago now, like seven or eight years ago now. Maybe. Uh, fall 2009, I would yeah. say, or 2010? Yeah. Ten. And I just, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm, a pretty, I'm an emotional sucker in, in, <laughs> in, most, in most ways. But this movie just, like, m- really hit me emotionally. And I, and I have seen it several times since then. And every time I watch it, I think... I'm, you know, I've seen this movie before. I'm not, it's, it's going to be fine, but I, I get gutted emotionally every time I watch it. It's just a beautiful story. And I also feel like the cinematography for me is a huge part of it. And it's one of the instances where like, I can feel the cinematography working in a way. And so that I feel like is something sort of special about the movie. There are, there are only maybe one or two other movies where I've ever really felt it that clearly. Other than, mm-hmm. uh, other than you know, if it's a movie that is distinctly um, crafted around the cinematography. But I feel like this movie is sort of subtly or sort of, you know, uh, the cinematography is very, very subtle, I find. But Yeah. I mean, when I first saw it, I, I was really... I thought I'd been misinformed because I thought it was a Mark Romanek film. And it is. He made it. But yeah. nothing he has done before or since has, has any indication that he could do this. Yeah. And it's, and I think, you know, with books that are based on movies, or sorry, with movies that are based on books, I know there's always a, a mourning period for the people who have read the book where they say, oh, the movie just never, never matches up. The movie never really, you know portrays the book the way the way that it's supposed to or or there's there's just so much in a book usually that you can't quite fit it all sure, in a film yeah, yeah. but i find i've read the book as well and i find this movie does a great job of delivering the the tone and the story of the of the book it's i mean it's just there are a lot of shots in the movie that are so simple a lot of shots of nature mm-hmm. um like just still shots of a leaf and the, the water falling, like rain yeah. falling on a leaf. And I have, I, I, I have had the thought when I watched the movie, I've had the thought so many times of how, how beautiful the world, uh, this earth is, you know, and how lucky we are to be on it. And that I think is so contrasted in the film with them discovering how little time they will have on the earth. Yeah. And how you know? 
and to my mind, it was the the sense of the price that's being paid for this. Yeah. Because, and this is the thing that no one knew. I mean, people who read the book knew about it, but it was really hard discussing it with people at TIFF that year because they didn't know that it's... The twist. It's essentially... Yeah, and it's right up front. There's no real... Like, it tells you what kind of movie it's going to be. It's mm-hmm. a science fiction film with no science fiction in it. Yeah. Uh, just like in the 1950s, this thing was achieved, and now here we are. And that's yes. it. That's the world you see. I know. It's incredible because I, whenever I try to describe the movie to someone, I, I the only word I can think of really is clones. Mm-hmm. But, that, you know, you're you're right. It's not... It's There's nothing science fiction about it, even though it is about people who are bred as copies. Yeah. You know, but because the film focuses so much on like the the emotional and psychological uh trauma that they undergo from learning what their lives will be and how short their lives will be i think that that is a part that for me is what i love so much about the 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 movie it doesn't really ever explain no how yeah. it works we only we, we ever don't really know, what know. They know we don't know what? how they were grown or where you know you don't see any of the science of it we just mm. feel how 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 disappointing it is for them and and the and the, the strange thing also is that they don't try to fight it like nobody yeah. tries to run or i mean there's nowhere to go yeah there's an attempt and an exemption that's basically it that yeah. people try to use bureaucracy to get out of of you the can situation. try to push it off for a few more years you know yeah it's this fascinating and watching it again just recently for mm-hmm. this is when I is when I found a, a whole other layer because I was no longer picking apart the mystery I think and yeah. now I'm a little older and you know I'm I, it's not that much of a gap I was what 42 when I saw it mm-hmm. and I'm 48 now but uh, you know that's a that's a shift yeah and I started to think that this is a film about you know in a lot of ways it has room for faith and, and, yes. the, and the idea that faith is a, a terrible thing that it's crippling these people and keeping them you know in service to the system because all they know is what they've been told yes from the earliest age they've been told not to want to know more Mm -hmm. this is how it is and it's clear that it's not for everyone it's not that way for most of the people they interact with Mm -hmm. but the early scenes with uh with charlotte rampling and Mm -hmm. with uh sally hawkins are just so they're so sad and so fraught without ever fully explaining themselves i mean you need to either have read the book or see be seeing the film again to understand what it is understand yeah why there is why there's such sadness and like you said it's it's so fraught you know and um yeah the the scene in the classroom when she when she decides that she's going to tell them the truth it's just it's like it's it's heartbreaking and it's it's kind of incredible that they haven't been told yet Mm -hmm. You know, that the older students don't tell the younger students. It's like a, a rite of passage, I guess, that uh, that you... Like, if, if she hadn't revealed the secret to them, the teacher at that point, when would they have found out? Yeah. And would they even understand it? I mean, because they don't. They, they don't all, yeah. anyway. Some of them embrace it. Some of them decide that it's going to be the thing that defines them. And yeah. they're going to be the best at it than anyone else, which is so... Yeah, a good donor, being a good donor. The idea of doing your best means literally giving yourself up piece by piece until there's nothing left. And to to have that introduced when they're still young, when they're still kids, is just... I don't... When I was eight years old, I have no idea what I would have comprehended. I thought Star Trek was a documentary. I had no idea that these things were happening and that there was a world beyond 
my own immediate circle. And yeah. if this is your normal, it obviously it's normal for everybody. You, nobody knows they're living in a, a bizarre situation. That's yeah. just what's there. It's incredible. Like, like you said, the the underlying sense of faith. I think that's in the movie, and that was a big thing that that struck me as well. Like, especially there's this pivotal scene in the movie, which is always like the gut wrencher, where they're at the end. Uh, Carrie Mulligan and Andrew Garfield are driving back, and she he asks her to pull over on the road, and he gets out of the car and just like screams at the sky, and it's it's so it to me it I always felt like he was screaming at God, you yeah. know, and, or or whatever he thought was supposed to be up there, that obviously wasn't going to help him, you know, and it's 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 so sad to think how small we are. that's a thing about the movie that always struck me that was how small human beings are and how we have put so much work into extending our lives you know far past what the generations before us lived to Mm -hmm. and I think we are sort of hoping to live forever or not even forever per se but it's interesting because someone once, I don't know who it was, I th- a friend of mine at one point said, you know, that we're disease is nature's way of regulating population yeah. in a way, is, is how he saw it. And sure. yeah. he said, like, we're not actually meant to eradicate cancer or, or maybe we're meant to f- fight it forever. But it's, you know, there will, there will be another illness or another plight that will befall us because that's what that's how it works right you know so we have to die of something is the idea in a way that's sort of like we're trying of course tragedy is another thing you know when someone dies very young or suffers a lot but it's interesting that we as human beings are are going so far to eradicate our you know our fragility our like our mortality mm-hmm and I wonder sometimes, like, what, 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 how far will we be able to go? Right. Well, this movie certainly thinks we'll go pretty. I, it, the 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 thing that's never spoken in the film um, is the cost of starting this program in the very first place. That you've decided that you're going to breed human beings yes. for nothing more than death. That's going. That's why they're there. They're there to be mm-hmm. harvested. And. And the people who sort of um, who pay for a copy of themselves to be created for their own purposes, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I'm I am creating a copy that will be my personal my personal donor essentially. Yeah, and it's been it's an idea that isn't new. I mean, it's been there are other movies that are about this very same thing. Yeah, they're just not as good because they disappear into the science fiction or the action or what happens if. And I think the most disturbing aspect of this film is that this is the movie where the system works. Yes. And, you know, what if they don't rebel? What if it all goes exactly as planned? How would you modulate the emotions of the donors in order yes. that they don't revolt? And the answer is you just keep them... You treat them like sheep. You keep them content. You limit their exposure to the outside. It's, yeah. it's a form of factory farming in a really it awful is, way. yeah. It's incredible how they, they make them feel as if they are special as well. Mm-hmm. The whole time that they're... Living at the you know quote unquote orphanage yeah. or the 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 boarding school, mm-hmm. they you know they they tell them to make sure they keep themselves safe and 
no smoking and, you know, always treat yourself with the utmost care because you, because you are special, mm. you know, it's, it's incredible. It's not the worst way to encourage physical fitness, but yeah, but the ulterior motive is just so awful. Yeah. And again, that this would be in England, um, presumably around the Thatcher era, as we catch mm-hmm. up to them in the eighties and or in the we 70s, do, right? right? We follow in them into the nineties. Yeah, the I think it's it it takes it's the idea that like in 1970 they figured out how to yeah oh well, it's been underway create. since the 50s according to the the super at the beginning which is oh so, yes so yes strange yes. so the program has been in place for 20 years we're at the point now where all the rebel the rebel uh, the uprisings have been quashed mm-hmm. and, and clearly anybody who's still objecting to it is no longer in power yeah the system just works now it yeah. like runs like a machine yeah and you know yeah it's true it the the. What I love most about the movie, which anytime I tell someone about the movie, I I, I always I always have trouble explaining it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it it's a movie about people who are made as clones, but it's it's oldie timey. Yeah. You know, is what I always find myself saying, because the movie is set in the past. Mm-hmm. It's in the past, but it is the future in a way. Yeah. And the movie has the, I find that the 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 cinematography has this sort of yellow wash over everything. Everything looks a little bit sort of faded or and even sort of just like beautifully soft in a way yeah. you know and the colors are all a little bit more yellowy and there's just i yeah i i can't get over the every time i see it i feel like the, there's a big concentration on nature and sort of the the natural beauties of the of of being a human being on the earth right which i i feel is contrasted so well with the complete lack of respect for 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 nature you mm-hmm. know for what is naturally meant to be that we are meant to die yeah we and aren't meant to live that long to outlive our bodies shutting down yeah and these know? characters aren't meant to live at all i mean they have been created they they don't i mean c- yeah. calling it an orphanage is genius because they don't have mothers or fathers no they're simply there they have no origin yeah and they don't I mean, uh, those scenes of appreciating nature are, I, I think about Frankenstein, I think about, you know, the abominations, yeah. uh, considering, being able to consider beauty in that moment and, and being freed from whatever existence they have. But it just makes it so sad. It just so weighs sad. down on you. Yeah. And the, it's, inter- you know, they, they have such a great range of portrayals of, of how it manifests, right? That mm. Carrie Mulligan's character is so gentle and sort of... So she kind of submits herself to it very early in, I think, you yeah. know? Um, Her function will be to support the others when they're frightened, which is just, again, yeah. unimaginable. Kira Knightley's character is, is so... She, I mean, you can tell that she sort of rages at the universe, but, but she doesn't really understand how to how to deal with those feelings, right? Mm-hmm. So she takes it out on other people. And Andrew Garfield's character is just like he's he's so angry. I think at, I think he's so angry at God or at whatever it is that was supposed to be out there. Mm-hmm. But he plays it with that weird softness of a well-mannered mm-hmm. child. You know, yeah, like that he's never really gotten out of that mentality that he's grappling with these feelings that he doesn't fully understand and trying to filter them through. What I guess you could describe as you know Britishness, like mustn't grumble, mustn't complain, do your thing, yeah, yeah, stiff upper lip, and it's Stay just proper. it's so horrible to to watch these people who, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. They're 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 
educated to a point. They're mm-hmm. fit. They're all movie stars. They have all the cognitive abilities. Yeah, that, they you would know, be that, fine outside. Yeah, absolutely. And watching the film the first time through and coming to that realization and then understanding that they're never going to have a chance to even explore that potential. Yeah. Because you couldn't. I mean, you couldn't. You, that's the whole point, right? Somewhere away from here, there is English society. Mm-hmm. But they'll never get there. The yeah. The closest they get is a seaside town and a, and a farm They live fair in the cottages. And, yeah. yeah. And it's all so controlled. It also, I guess, the, um, in fact, the, the originals don't necessarily... I wonder if the... I don't, I don't know hmm. if it's ever explained in the movie whether the originals know that copies were made of them. I assume if they do... They try very hard not to think about it. Yeah. But also... Because I don't think you necessarily create... I actually... I, at first I thought that you create a copy of yourself, but they mm. may just make copies of whoever. Yeah. Or your. I thought of it like a trust fund. Like if right. you're wealthy enough, your family can buy you one. Mm-hmm. Or you choose to. I mean, we have no idea how old the real versions are. Right. I assume they're older. Because uh, that's the, the thing that always comes back in these... Yeah. In these movies. But that's just an assumption, too. What if they are just... Cells that were activated simultaneously, just in case. No, that doesn't. That's right. Financially not feasible. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, there's so much about this world that we don't understand, and then by putting us in that position, we're in their positions because mm-hmm. they don't understand. We understand a little bit more because we have a larger frame of reference. Right. And they're just in it. It's incredible because there are so many, there are so many pieces like this now, and you know, between a, a, so much sci-fi as well, but even things like Black Mirror, mm-hmm. right, which are. I, f- I find watching Black Mirror to be so fascinating in, in the newer seasons because the older seasons were l- l- came out long enough ago that there was a whole slew of concepts available to say, wouldn't it be crazy if this yeah. happened? And now, a lot of those things have happened. Yes, we're running out of ideas. You know, and so now it's it's incredible like the the you know the the places that you can that you can go to say doesn't it freak you out to think about this happening? You know, and it's the same with Never Let Me Go, that we are nearly there. You know, the idea of morality and what we are morally entitled to, to, you know, extend our own lives. And if it would mean creating a double of someone, you know, or, yeah, building a a human being from cells in a Petri dish, right? Do they have a soul? Have they, if they haven't been conceived and carried in a womb or you know like yeah. or if they've just been created without any intention of anyone of them having their own life and their own dreams and goals it's just like the the concept is really frightening if you think about the things that we can already do with science sure. yeah and i was about to say that you know there's always the chance that in the name of good business someone will come up with this thing like the sixth day where you start by cloning pets and then get on to people without telling anybody but yeah. I think the one good advantage is that the only administration, at least in the U.S., would be hamstrung by those very questions, the philosophical, religious questions, because the religious right. right would just lose their minds if someone started trying to do this. To, you know, yeah. print up souls without the concept in a, in, in a way is is completely like incomprehensible that it would ever actually work. Right. Because there are so many moral questions, you know. Yeah. But on the other hand, the first time you find out you need a new kidney. 
it all goes on the table, right? Like yeah. everybody, anyone would be willing to. And it's incredible because anything. they've, be, you know, we've begun doing these sorts of things in portions, right? We've begun being able to grow bone marrow, mm-hmm. and maybe one day we'll be able to grow an entire spleen or grow a new pair of lungs, human lungs, and you know all the organs. So then the next step is like, well, why not just grow a full person? Yeah, and then that, I mean, just cut out, you know, just that way you have a whole body to work from if you want and you've got eyes and you've got you know but that's the incredible thing like at what point does it become a person as opposed to just growing parts in a dish Mm -hmm. especially if you have to do it you know in real time if you have to Mm -hmm. have a zygote to an embryo to a fetus to an to a child yes feed them you have to clothe them um you could i guess you could just let them wander around but you have to put them somewhere yeah yeah, and teach them about I guess morality and at least as far as it applies to what you want them to do. But that, like, that's what's so fascinating about it being an English story. And that I think you could probably Shigeru could have probably gotten away with it in Japan too, because there's so much respect and and structure and all of that is there. But making it an English story is so weirdly specific. It's incredible that he chose to write it about England, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's not a culture that. The writer was born in. Yeah, it's nobody's milieu. It's not Ramanex. It's not his. No, it's incredible. But it is right. Like, it's the right answer. It's where it would have to be, because... I think so. Yeah. Especially in the 50s, after World War II, where everybody just, you know, did whatever the, the government said they had to everybody, do. Everybody, yeah. Still rationing going on. You know what it's like to live without. And you know how easy it... Yeah, I know what it's like to live without, and how easy it is to for life to be discarded, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? How sort of the like the fleeting nature of of our existence and the idea that so many people died in the war in the war that you know, we had to, we have to figure out a way to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny because the movie to me isn't it isn't even really scary. It's it, it doesn't really to me it's not like it doesn't sort of make me frightened or existentially worried the way that things like Black Mirror do. When mm. I watch things like Black Mirror, I think, my God, that really freaks me out. That might, <laughs> that might happen one day pretty soon. But there's something about this movie that is not really focused on, like, sort of the... Because we because we see so little of the people who are, in, you know, in a quote-unquote responsible. Right. The people that benefit. Yeah, we're working at a sub-level. Yeah, exactly. We we are we we almost never see anybody who is outside of their world, right? Mm-hmm. All we see is them. And so we become so invested in them that the movie I think does such a great job of you know bringing us in inside their their hopes and dreams and the complexity of their relationships. And in a way it doesn't it, it doesn't even really matter what is going on outside of their world yeah certainly not as far as this story is concerned yeah and it just forces us to pay more attention to the performers to the to the characters they're creating yeah yeah carrie mulligan there was that window where she could do no wrong um uh, when i when i interviewed romanek uh before tiff oh yeah in 2010 he said that the instruction came from like they didn't know who to cast and the instruction came from someone who had seen an education yes at Sundance and just sent him a forward email that said hire the genius mulligan <gasps> and that's no how, way. yeah that's how she got the role and Garfield wow. was 
everywhere and nowhere. Like, he, he was ubiquitous, but nobody really knew who he was mm-hmm. in a strange way. He hadn't done Social Network yet. It was the same. Right? Yeah, was it was the released same, the same year. Yeah, exactly. So no one had really seen it yet. Mm-hmm. And Boy A was oh, sufficiently small, I think. That Boy it, A yeah. is an excellent movie. And the only time my Peter Mullen rule does not apply, which is that when Peter Mullen appears in a film, things are about to go very badly for people. Yes. Um, Peter I know he. I know he's often played, he has often played like ruthless and oh, sort yeah. of really menacing characters. That's his thing. But he's so gentle and wonderful in that film. Yeah. I keep pushing it on people just to explain yeah, you don't understand. He's a sweetheart. Yeah, he made the Magdalene sisters. He cares. Oh, he's great, yeah. and yeah, Andrew Garfield has this incredible capacity to, I like sort of, I I think that, I would say that he, to me, is one of the most skilled actors of my generation, in terms of um, like the subtleties of playing different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in a way. He is always recognizable because he's, you know, his frame is very distinct. He's he's yeah. tall and, you know, he's having that hair going on. The hair, the yeah. Hair. But I saw Hacksaw Ridge just a, a few weeks ago, and oh, yeah. from that to you know, like Superman or Spider Man rather to Social Network, like you know, in Social Network, he, it was incredible. He played a a a per, you know a per, a real person who spoke with an American dialect but with a slight hint like slight Hispanic lilt yeah because his character was uh, had a Hispanic background so mm-hmm. like he's he's re- I think he's very gifted yeah his accent language is, is remarkable well he's yeah. you know, the whole deal with him is he was born in the US and yeah. went to the UK and so he can fall into either one he's yeah he's he's sort of like uni dialectical yeah. whatever you want to call it he's like a Canadian we're, yeah we're stealthy we he's like Gillian Anderson right she's oh that's like true she can turn it on and off yeah she can do British and American yeah. and she makes this or rather he he makes a strange choice in uh, silence to speak English with an accent because the characters are Portuguese yeah and Everybody does it, except for um, Kieran Hines, who just doesn't bother with it. Yes. But he and, he and Adam Driver both have this slightly affected pronunciation, which mm-hmm. is ultimately unnecessary and kind of showy and distracting for two minutes. And then you just fall into it because eh, it's the 17th century and people are, are different. It's just that simple. You, he sells right. it through simple lack of affect. Right. But you look at Never Let Me Go and he's, he's effortlessly doing the thing that that movie needs him to do as well. Which is not steal focus, yeah, and let Kira Knightley be bigger mm-hmm. and show you how he responds to Mulligan's work with him. It's a really it's the performance that gets no, uh, That's no, true. no sizzle, right? Because he's yeah. just doing the job. He's just so like sweet and and loving and endearing, you know. Yeah, Kira Knightley, I really enjoy in this movie too, and I and I haven't liked a lot of her performances to be honest. I find. She's often miscast or something. I don't know. I mm-hmm. always have trouble with her. I, I I find that there's a, you know, a kind of actor that sometimes always appears to be uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And, and you know, who knows? I'm sure that's not actually true. But there's a, a sense of, like, a, la- a feeling of a lack of comfort in their own body or skin or sort of a... Like a strange awkwardness, and I've often felt that with Keira Knightley. I, I just can't, I can't ever let go of watching the actor mm-hmm. with her. And in this movie, I really did. Like, it didn't feel like it was an actor. Yeah, I think. That, I wonder if that's the world. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. she doesn't make a lot of films that are set in England. In in her, that's true. <coughs> She's often cast in me. North American. <laughs> 
you know, films that often she has to use a, a North American accent right. for. Or she has to be British in a fake way, like in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yes. That just, just are tethered to nothing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, she's, um, she's somebody who fascinates me because you could sort of watch her spend five or six years as an actor trying to wrest back her own impulses after the Pirates films because, you know, Bruckheimer told her to keep her mouth open and that sort of ginked everything she did for the next few right. years. She looks like a mouth breather. Yeah. It's just the set of her, her upper jaw is is quite wide. Right. And so when she smiles, it's amazing. But when she closes her mouth and tries to look very serious, her face turns into a triangle. Right. And yeah. they didn't like that aesthetically, so they went with something else. And she spent like almost a decade trying not to do it. Trying to change her face. Yeah. yeah. And actively undermining her own work, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Even on the poster. And she That's gets, incredible. I didn't she's know She's the only one who gets a full-on face, and she's the one on the spine of the disc because she was the biggest name at the time. But if you're going to see the Keira Knightley movie, you're going to be very confused. Yeah, exactly, because it's really the Carrie Mulligan and Andrew Garfield show. You know? Mm-hmm. And the script. And, like, it's so much a, a film about the text, about what is happening and yeah, what isn't being said and what people do and don't know. You You lean into it in a way that maybe you don't lean into and yeah many other films at, at that time anyway yeah it's you're right the text is really there you know especially at the end the way that that charlotte rampling's character talks about mm. what you know she explains to them what they are in a way and sort of like her charlotte rampling's character's lack of ability to connect with them you know her or her her decision to never really consider that they were people with souls it was yeah. the only way to it was sort of the only way to be able to get through it was just to see them as like vessels yeah which is again incredibly disturbing doesn't cost a cent yeah it's all conceptual and has echoes with you know nazism and eugenics and everything else in human history and yeah and by the time we get to that scene it's just like well of course you would that's that's a completely rational way to act in this in this society yeah it's interesting too um, one little thing one thing that has nothing to do with really the 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 actual you know artistic side of the film at all. But I've begun to really enjoy noticing sets that have been used in other movies. Oh yeah, and there's a this a set used in this one that is used very prominently in Downton Abbey as well. Which one? The cottages. Okay. The cottage that they live in in Never Let Me Go is also the cottage where um, Mr. Mason. Daisy's like you know Daisy's father-in-law okay. lives, and I remember, I remember one day thinking that that's I think that's the same cottage, and then getting out, never let me go, and putting it in the DVD player, and like going back and forth from one to the other, <laughs> and it's so it's so neat to think of the how many movies must have been shot on those sets, and how how easy it is to transform it and make it look almost unrecognizable, other yeah. than like there's one aspect there on the front of it, there's a series of windows that I I just for some reason recognized right away right there was a set that I, re- I recognized by an archway once it's completely unrecognizable otherwise it was I mean, different decades or something but yeah. it was definitely that archway yeah and then you track back it's like yep there it is there it is there it is there it is and even that is a sort of economy isn't it in in the filmmaking just mm-hmm. using existing location because we know what it needs to telegraph we know what feeling it needs to show people yeah get into their heads the score is also stunning for this film, mm. Rachel Portman wrote it. Yeah, and I know a little bit of her of her stuff, a little bit of her other stuff, but 
I, I have, I doubt, you know, I, I bought on iTunes the, the whole score for this and it's like, it's just so heartbreaking. The melody and the, I mean, it's mostly strings mm-hmm. in a way, right? Yeah. Um, it reminded me strangely of all the, we were talking earlier about Cronenberg's crash, but it reminded me a lot of the Howard Shore stuff that, from the 80s, like the Fly and Dead Ringers, yeah. where it's just so sad, but it's still supporting action. Yes. If you listen to it separately, you really hear just how, in, in Never Let Me Go's case, it's trying not to be sad in a yes. way, sort of an austerity. Sort of trying emotion. to like pick itself up mm-hmm. and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the score is, for me, such an enormous part of any movie, right? I mean, I suppose it must be for all of us, but often I almost find it impossible to separate the movie from the score, like to separate my emotional response to a movie yeah. from the my emotional response to the score, you know? Um, it, we watched Dim the Fluorescence for the first time at the screening at the Royal yeah. on the 3rd. I had watched it the day before. Did you? Rounded the yeah. corner and saw the marquee and went, oh, God damn it. I could have seen oh, it in the wow, theater. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And it was my first time seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had seen a few clips, but Daniel had convinced me to wait to watch the whole thing so I could see it on the big screen, and it was very much worth it. But I hadn't heard any of Miles's composition. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible, like, how it changed and sort of amped up and, like, transformed the tone of the film. It's just, it's like, the music is is so evocative, you know, and I think it really has the power to, like, kind of make or break a movie. Sure, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, we've all it's seen a, films where the music is trying too hard. Yeah. Or not hard enough. It's distracting. Just or it's just, yeah, and it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's a big sort of guide on, like, how, how, sort of helping the viewers know how they should feel in a way it's like it's sort of leading you mm-hmm. towards the feeling that the you know maybe the composer and the director and the screenwriters and everything is, is wanting you to wanting you to feel you yeah know? we've all seen films where they tried to fix something with music yeah you can always tell you can always tell one of the ones that i always felt the most a, sort of a, I felt that sense about that they were trying to really like really fix it and amp it up with music was Pearl Harbor the yeah. Pearl Harbor movie that was was, was that the, Howard Shore? Michael Bay was, uh, I'm thinking Hans Zimmer probably it was Hans Zimmer and that score is so beautiful I think I, it's gorgeous it's so sad and evocative but it's like there was something about that for me that clashed with it because the the movie wasn't that great mm. and the actors were a little bit sort of cheesy and schmaltzy and the script was a bit cheesy and schmaltzy and then you've got this beautiful score that is just like it was too epic yeah. for the sort of cheese level i mean the the movie was a soap opera in a way right? yeah, it was a love triangle the the music is kind of reaching for emotion that the film doesn't feel yeah, it doesn't exactly. even understand yeah because it's you know time to blow some stuff up that's exactly what Time to blow some stuff up and then, like, you know, watch these beautiful people all sort of fall all over themselves for each other. Mm. But in Never Let Me Go, there's something so incredible about the score because there is almost so little emotion in the, you know, like, sort of leaked out by the actors. Mm. And, you know, there there are distinct times when you see, like, the weight of what they're dealing with and the weight of the the finality of their their lives and the lack of 
ability they will have to shape their own lives. Mm. But it's so it's so few and far between. You know, Andrew Garfield has that one moment on the road, and Carrie Mulligan only has maybe like two moments, one or two, in the woods. They've got that conversation where she realizes that he she she perceives that he may be saying that they could you know that they could go and request for a deferral together yeah, but there might be a way out yeah and you see how her heart is breaking there and she how badly she always sort of wanted him to choose her and then at the end the end of the movie to me is like one of the most one of the most well written passages and i think that one's pulled directly from the book i believe so yeah. um and i've almost like <laughs> i almost have it Memorized. It's almost just because I, I love the scene so much that it's so hard to forget those words, you know, that the images that are called up are not, you know, not sort of schmaltzy or precious or too earnest. Like the, she, one of the phrases that she says is, you know, if he has died by that point and mm. she says that, you know, it's, uh, I've got, been given my notice now. My first donation is in a month's time. And then she, there's this one phrase where she says, I come here and I imagine that this is the place where everything I've lost since my childhood is washed up. And she's looking out at like this, this big field where they used to, where, near where they used to live. Mm-hmm. You know, and she says, I imagine that if I, if I waited long enough, a tiny figure would appear on the horizon and I would know that it was him. And she says, he would, he would wave and maybe call and then she and then she says i only let it go that far and yeah. it's just like it's incredible because you're even in even there's even a restraint in like what she's allowed to dream of yeah you it's know? like a child's drawing on yeah. a refrigerator it's so simple yeah. and it's like she would see him and he would raise his arm up and and maybe call out to her but she that's all that she has ever like she they've never been allowed to really dream yeah. bigger than that you know yeah yeah it is again it's just it's artful in a way that requires you to be following it along like you if you didn't if you haven't been paying attention you're going to think that's just a bland dull yeah. what is the point of that you're going to so, think that the movie is just sort of like written or you might think that it's you know that there's there's something lost in the translation maybe there's something about it that sounds almost like um a slightly different version of the English that we would hear mm-hmm. in, you know, modern films. Right. Or maybe it reflects her own limitations. The yeah. fact that she doesn't understand anything more profound because she's never been allowed to, which yeah. also makes it sad and stunted and limited. Either yeah. way, it, it has the same effect, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah. The language is very, you're right, it's very simple. You know, it's very it's very sort of pared away. Mm. There isn't a lot of sort of flowery or there isn't a lot of colloquialisms. It's almost naive in a way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a a simplicity of language that, you know, in the sense that they were, they were schooled about the proper way to say things and maybe never given the opportunity to move beyond that. Mm. Right. So they, God knows you wouldn't teach them history. No. Or literature. I mean, nothing that might be, Nothing halfway subversive you'd have to isolate them from almost everything yeah you don't want them to develop their own way of expressing themselves right mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's a, a really beautiful like pairing with the score is that the the language is so sort of simple you know and it doesn't it, it's not um, 
yeah, the, the language doesn't feel like syrupy in any way, or you know, it's just very simply stating what the characters are feeling. Mm. But then the music of the score is so mournful that it sort of like under undercuts it in a way that it just yeah, it's it's I think it's so such a I think it's such a great movie. Yeah, well, <laughs> Romanek is feeling it for them. I mean, that's the, the film is doing that for yeah. them, and we get to participate. Yeah. Oh, now I'm sad again. <laughs> it's I know. such an intense experience for something that is so placid on the surface. It I mean, is. Even the, even the surgery aspects of it, of the, the stuff that could be science fiction, is just ugly and, and basic. And, and yeah. Yeah, the scenes just were, blood. Yeah, they yeah. just like they just take the organ out, and then they leave the body there because like we'll clean that up later. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true, and and the the surgery rooms all look kind of like old and yeah Maybe grimy that's part of it you know this, this, this stuff's being performed in discarded hospitals it or doesn't surgeries look futuristic at no, all I, yeah there's know? no sense of of you're unlocated in time and, and in technology and it's just those choices are again you look at something like The Island the Michael Bay film about clones mm-hmm. where there's one amazing image of Scarlett Johansson having escaped this this body farm and yes. coming face to face with an advertisement of her own face, yeah. which we're used to seeing. That's amazing. That, and I'm sure that was in the script and not a base conception. Or right. he's a commercial advertising director, he would go there anyway. But it's that one moment where you think, oh, there's a world. Like, this is what's going on. Yeah. This is the way this world works. And he never let me go. There's no gloss. There's no, there's almost no pulse. It's just this slow, slow soft burn. exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, extinction of these characters. Yeah, and there isn't so even... More... You're right. There isn't even a sense of like, oh, oh God, this is so tragic. Someone help these people. You know, mm. it's just... You feel that, but in a in a much more subdued sort of way that like, it's like a slow aching yeah. that eventually builds to a point where it just kind of like bursts, you know, and that's often personified in a big way in, in Andrew, through Andrew Garfield's character. But that's, I think, also some of the really smart directing that the you know and maybe who knows if it was a combination of the you know the director and the actors all crafting it together it often is but mm-hmm. even then i think it's the sign of a really smart director to choose to really like keep those moments of emotional release few and far between yeah because y- y- the it's it's so i mean it's 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 so much more powerful when it happens after such a long time of just sort of watching them exist yeah, you can feel it building, and mm-hmm. the level at which it is expressed isn't even powerful enough to justify it in a strange way. You're no. just like that's that's what my takeaway was. You should be angrier. Uh, I'm waiting for Kira Knightley to actually rebel because that's her. She's the manic pixie dream clone. She's the one who's there yeah. to point out that we could do stuff. We could run in the water. We could go to a restaurant. Yeah, and why no. aren't they? Why aren't they smashing the windows at the cottages yeah. and tearing things up and trying to? Excuse me, tear their. Why yeah, are they trying to tear their, so their they bracelets off? That's what I was so they, thinking, yeah. Why isn't anyone trying to run? Right. And it's because, like, there's there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And in a way, they were never they were never trained or instructed in freedom of thought and freedom yeah. of, you know, sort of freedom to dream. Self-criticism and, mm-hmm. and yeah. even, even rebellion, it's alien to them. Yeah. They're just there to be there. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> to get along. Yeah. Until they're used. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I am bummed. Now I am bummed. Uh, well, let's turn this around and ask the, the closer question, which is mm. the one that is always the same on the show. Uh, and it is simply, what of this film have you borrowed or stolen or absorbed into your own DNA? Have you ever used this in, in your work? Has there been an opportunity? 
from Never Let Me Go. Yeah, or anything within it. Absolutely. I think as an actor, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a pretty, like, I, I, you know, I'm a pretty emotionally outward actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, in basic terms, I always, I always play the crier. I okay. always, you know, there's a lot of crying in Dim the Fluorescence. There's a lot of, you know, and, and it, it, it's, it's reduced. People often will ask, you know, how do you do that? How do you cry so much? And it's, it's not, it's not really that. I mean, it's more so, you know, an em, emotional availability in a way that I've mm-hmm. kind of practiced and worked at, you know, through theater school and, and also just in my life. And I, and also a part of it is just innate, innately who I am. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty emotional person, which also means that yeah, a lot of the time I'm, you know, my, I, I cry in my daily life a lot, you know? And, okay. Um, but... So it's there for you. Yeah, it's it's there for me, and I feel very fortunate that it's it's there and it's available to me to work with as an actor. Um, but a big part of what I took from this movie was how um, how little of it you actually need to communicate the, the depth of an emotional state of being um, and how sometimes less is more. And I think, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with, like, going full tilt with an emotion but sometimes it's it, we as as human beings um we want we don't necessarily want to see the the actor or see the character living it out you know living out the emotion exactly you know fully and in front of us we sort of want to perceive that it's there and then feel it in our own way like you know we don't necessarily need to be shown exactly what we're supposed to be feeling as the viewer. And I think that was, that's been an important thing over the years for me to learn as an actor that I, it's not, it's not show and tell in a way, you know, I can only live the, the emotion in a way that feels honest to me and the, uh, the, the viewers and, you know, the, I mean, I do a lot of theater, right? So it's often when it's live, you're trying to affect or send an energy out to the audience and sort of build a, a relationship with the audience. But all you can really do is live the emotion in a way that y- feels honest to you. And that's going to do whatever it's going to do to the audience. And you really have no control over how they're going to feel in relation to watching you feel something honestly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think from that's something I've, I really witnessed in this movie is like that it, it wasn't, it, I think it was, it was, it's, it's portrayed in a way that's really emotionally honest. Um, yeah, this impossible emotion is still being felt somehow. Yeah. And, yeah, I think the less is more thing was so, so well done and well-crafted in this movie. And, you know, I, I suspect that it was probably the director and the actors working together to, you know, and, and exploring how far you can go into the emotion. And it's sort of like, let's pull it back. Like yeah. I want to, I know it's under there, but I want to see you try and cover it. I need to see you trying to cover it a bit more, you know, and that's, a, I think something that can often be really powerful in trying to convey a story is the emotion is there. And then now put a cover on it and try to try to keep it in. Yeah. You know? Well, when the emotions come in Dimla Fluorescence, they're mm-hmm. explosive. They're yeah. just overwhelming. To the point where the first time you, uh, the first time I saw it, I was inclined to reject it. Just like, what are, yeah. why are they doing that? That seems, that seems too that big. That seems too much. And then you yeah. realize that that's the whole point, and it makes the last one even more powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's just, 
yeah, it's just two people just completely losing themselves in each other. Yeah. Uh, and out of desperation. And, and, and weirdly, the ending of Margaret came up uh, because that's the same thing. People responding to the art that they're encountering with, with such force. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Nomi and I were talking about that yesterday. And it's just, it is a straight line, but it's so completely different. And the film is such a different experience that yes. yeah, to find yourself back around to this point does speak to the uh, universality of experience, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how people react at that moment exactly I, I believed it completely yeah i think that uh, a thing that i i i feel that i often think about w- with especially with this movie you know a reason why i love watching this movie so much is that it this it made me realize in a big way the subtlety of film of acting on film because mm. i am a theater actor by you know by origin and i've i've done a lot of like shakespeare and Chekhov and Arthur Miller and, you know, big emotions on big stages and um, needing to sort of communicate that through body language, and, you know, and it's just a different kind of beast. And so it, it's it's helpful to remember that in film, the most subtle things can be portrayed and conveyed, you know, easily in film. But also that big emotional moments, if they, if they are honest can totally work on mm. film it can make a lot of a lot of sense on film because people we want we like i think as viewers we want to see people in extraordinary moments you know we don't want to see a whole movie of it but that's i think why we tell stories and why we we go to see and listen to stories is to be able to live in a, inside someone else's experience for a while in an extraordinary circumstance you know mm. and that doesn't have to mean you know, end of the world, or and it just may mean an extraordinary something that you may not experience every day, mm-hmm. and being able to live that out through watching another person do it, I think, is part of what allows us to expand our human experience, right? And so, it, when an actor really goes there, if you feel that they're going there really honestly, I often feel like, man, I, I'm so glad they did that <laughs> because it was witnessing something that I I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily see in daily yeah. life. Yes, you got to be there for it yeah. in a weird way and, and have it captured. Yeah. Sometimes it's too much. I mean, sometimes, you know, you can always tell like an overwrought performance. Yeah. But, but when a movie, yeah, when a movie finds the tone and maintains it, Edgar Wright, I think, said once that um, the tone of Scott Pilgrim was everybody pulling on the rope with the same tension. Oh, really? And, yeah, and that's that was the same year as this, oddly enough. And I do feel that there's a, yeah. a similar thing. Like, you just have to be so precise Yes. Or it'll slide out and everybody's going to get burned. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it just becomes sort of a mess of like feeling, wanting to feel and show how you feel and let's all feel together. And I think that that is often a pitfall that we can fall into as creators, as performers and writers. And the idea that like, if you just go up there and feel the, feel the crap out of it, then that's going to, that's going to really get people but yeah, you have to really not understand yeah <laughs> exactly you really got to choose times. your moments you know and craft a, a landscape mm-hmm. and I think they do that really well in this movie yeah it's so sad okay if you've been listening this long and you haven't seen it go see it please because that's what we're here for <laughs> go see it go rent it my thanks to Claire Armstrong who you can see in Dim the Fluorescence when it opens this Friday December 8th at the Carlton Cinemas in Toronto you should also dig into the podcast archives to find her co-star, Naomi Scorna, talking about Margaret and their director, Daniel Worth, on Love Streams. Both of those episodes dropped earlier this year. And thanks also to Ingrid Hamilton. She knows what she did. 
Claire's not on Twitter, but you can follow her film at Dim Fluorescence, all one word, no the, and you can find Never Let Me Go on Blu-ray and DVD from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilder and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps, it truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.